so much of, of what dictates whether your own podcast will be a success is how clear your messaging is and how much clarity you have about what you're going to talk about, what you're going to stand for in the market. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. My name is Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Matt Johnson. How are you doing, Matt? Doing awesome. Matt's of the world unite. That's right. And I actually had another interview with another person named Matt today. So this is like my three Matt day. So this is a glorious banner day for you. I know it is. It's glorious. Yeah. And so you get to talk to all the smartest people in the world. Absolutely. At the same time, like all in one day. So you're an agency owner and you're also in the podcasting space. I wanted to have you on also because I actually, I, I found your listing on one of the podcast guesting web. I think it was podcastguests.com. I might be wrong, but I saw you on there and I was like, Matt Johnson, Matt Johnson. I was like, oh, he's the guy from the Real Estate Uncensored podcast. <laughs> so I've been listening to that for ages, right? Yeah. And I remember listening to that when it was in like the two digits kind of episode numbers, you know, like wow. 60 something, right? Yeah, it would have been like 2016. That's crazy. Yeah, like way back, right? And I don't listen to it like religiously, but I'm I'm not a, I'm not a real estate agent, uh, right? But I really like it, right? And I listen to it a lot, and I, I learned a bunch of stuff on there. Actually, there's been some really good advice and stuff on there for marketing because I mean, even as a marketing person, it's great to listen to different stuff from you know different fields to kind of get an idea of what people are doing. A lot of it can transfer to other industries, so it's really great. Anyways, I love your podcast. Yeah, the, the, well, the dirty secret about real estate is yeah, like real estate is way ahead of other professional services businesses in digital and online marketing, like pure lead generation, like all that and, and lead follow-up, automated lead follow-up. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that real estate's experimenting with now and predictive analytics and automated follow-up and things like that, that are, that will, it'll take five years to filter into other industries. So yeah, I mean, real estate is actually a really good field to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of. It is. And, uh, you know, talking about having that filtered other industries, when you look at industries like say like HVAC or maybe it's like services like plumbing, electricians, that kind of stuff, their lead gen systems are decrepit if they exist at all. Right. I mean, they're just ancient. Like you go into a company and, and, and their lead gen system is they, you know, they used to use the yellow pages, but that stopped working. So they <laughs> put some, dump some money into some Google ads. And then, you know, somebody writes down the name when somebody calls on the phone. Right. And, when you're getting into a digital kind of funnel style real estate marketing system where you can go in and you have multiple channel marketing and you have follow up and maybe even like things like lead scoring and, and, you know, your CRM systems and automation for follow up and stuff like that. A lot of businesses could learn a lot from the real estate industry, but also there is a lot of real estate agents who are not doing any of these things. No. <laughs> and some of them might be in some real trouble soon. Uh, I agree. I think there's going to be some really interesting shakeups happen. We won't uh, go too far down that rabbit hole, but I think there's something that the real estate has figured out that even even us as marketers and and I see, a people, I see people struggle with in the coaching consulting world of, of the world of people who teach other businesses how to grow. I see them struggle with the same thing, which is, you know, you go from working with people that have 
reached out to you or been referred to you or, or they found you because they were looking. And that's, you know, like you're used to working with that world. And then you go into the world of paying for leads and real estate, because there's enough teams out there that track their results so closely. Like we know what the incubation time is. Like one of my clients can rip off the numbers to you off the top of his head that it's like 155 days from the first contact to the time the average person does a deal with their team. And it's one out of 33. Right. So if you got to have 33 leads in order to get one completed deal, he knows exactly what he spends. He spends about 1500 bucks per deal to make five grand or whatever it is into the brokerage. Anyway, point being like real estate knows all those numbers and they know the difference between getting people that are referrals and people that are in your sphere versus when you go to the, the market and buy leads and that there's a 12 to 18 month lead time. There's a lot of people in coaching consulting that are that don't keep that in mind when they go and buy leads or they start doing online marketing, it's the same thing. You're, you're hitting people earlier in the process and it's different than working with referrals. And, uh, and it doesn't mean the leads are bad. I'm sure you've heard that in real estate a million times. The, the problem isn't the leads. The problem is you, right? It's, but it's because you're just looking at the leads with the wrong mentality. The leads are weak. <laughs> <laughs> leads are weak. That's right. You're weak. <laughs> That's no, absolutely true. And, you know, it's funny because when you look at a lot of this data, a business owner will have the data. They just don't know that they have the data. Right. It's kind of you got to like dig a little bit. So I had an interesting example with uh, a company that we work with in the in the in the bail bond industry, which is a super fun industry. <laughs> okay, interesting. Uh, but anyway, we can look and we can say, you know, well, how many calls do you get, you know, in, in this period of time, how many a day or how many a month, whatever. Right. And just write down, you know, where they came from when they call kind of thing. We're going to just tally that up, just, just get an average kind of thing and we'll figure it out. And usually it's like one in every 10 calls is somebody who's going to write a bond. Right. Which means that they are going to get someone out of jail. They have the collateral, they have the money, whatever it is to get the person out of jail. When you average it all out, you know, and you take out the exceptional ones like some giant, you know, bond for something like somebody who's in real trouble, but isn't a flight risk, gets a bond for twenty five thousand dollars. We like take those out of the because that's not where the bread and butter is in that industry. It's usually like, you know, they do people went to a business party, uh, office party and got pulled over because they had four glasses of wine, you know, and they oh. should only have two, you know, right. that kind of stuff, right. is kind of the bread or like repeat offenders, you know, people in drugs and, you know, petty crime, that kind of stuff. That's usually what's in the bail bond industry. Those bonds average about $250. So they say, okay, we got 88 phone calls this week. I know one in 10 of those are going to close. So that's nine roughly that are going to close times $250. And we can work out the math and say, okay, that's $2,750. And, you know, we spent $1,000 on ads that week. So we tripled their money basically, mm. right? And those kind of numbers are easy to do with just just write down who called and where they came from. Right. You know, you don't yeah. have to <laughs> you don't have to yep. reinvent the wheel to do it. <laughs> you know, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about what it is that you do and like who you work with and that kind of stuff. And then we can get in because I do have a couple other questions, too. Cool. So short story is we launch and produce podcasts mostly for coaches, consultants, speaker, author types. We do work with a bunch of people in real estate. We were talking about that before we hit record. Uh, mortgage, professional services, financial services. Um, and our typical client is someone that's built, you know, like a really good, probably seven figure professional services business and then turns around and realizes like, hey, I want to make an impact. So how can I get into teaching people how to do what I've done? 
And so then they'll, you know, in the course of thinking about, well, how do I get coaching clients or how do I do more consulting or speak on stages? They stumble on the idea of launching a podcast and they get into my world. So yeah, that's, that's who we are, what we do. We only sell the one thing to one type of person, which is always helpful. And a direct result of that is that the agency takes me about four hours, four to five hours a week to manage and run, leaving the rest of my time to do fun stuff like this, have conversations with people, you know, work on my other marketing systems. And, you know, I, I ended, up, ended up having the time to write the book because of that and uh, makes a huge difference. So yeah, all comes from what we do and, and just serving one type of person, selling them one type of thing. Sure. And why don't you tell me about your book? Ah, the book. All right. So it's called Microfamous, Become Famously Influential to the Right People. And at, like as an agency owner, I wrote it because I wanted more ideal clients. You know, if you're if you're on the receiving end and you're in that coaching consulting space, like the problem that you're running up against, which I think we all do, is that like organic reach on social media is dropping long term. But you know, paid traffic is not something you can just turn the faucet on and it's gonna work and be profitable. That it takes time, takes, you know, experimentation, or you just flat out gotta hire an agency to do it for you. So like a lot of people that I know are like in that they're like caught between a rock and a hard place where, you know, another Facebook post is only going to reach the same hundred people anyway. So they're looking, okay, well, that means I got to open up the wallet and go big on, on paid ads. And I got to make like a six to 12 month commitment to make that work. And that's true. Like you, you do have to make that commitment and they're going, well, I don't want to do either of those things. And I don't want to feel guilty for not doing Gary V's, you know, spend 10 hours a day on Instagram, you know, messaging everyone under the sun. And so they're just caught between a rock and a hard place. And from being in podcasting, I watched podcasting do a really great job of building coaching, consulting businesses from scratch. And I'm like, this is something that people don't know about. They don't know that the strategy is out there and not just podcasting in general, but the, like I, the, the book is about a complete roadmap to go from, you know, what do you say? How is your thought leadership business positioned? Who is your ideal client to then how do you talk about it on podcasts when you get interviewed? How do you then start a podcast that drives home your message to the market so that you, you're positioned the right way? How do you then take, you know, small chunks of those interviews and content and put them out on social media so you're not actively spending all your time creating content? You can actually spend more time talking to people, which is where actual leads come from. And so it's, it's that whole, that whole roadmap that I was trying to get my clients to see the bigger picture on. Like we, my agency does one piece, but when it's put into that roadmap, like a podcast does amazingly, amazingly well for the right people. So anyway, that's, that's the cool premise. And that's kind of why I wrote the book. Right. hundred percent agree with you about podcasts. Let me tell you from my experience of doing this podcast for almost two years now that we did not do this the right way to do that. <laughs> <laughs> why do you say that? So our podcast has been put together around the idea of me finding people I'm interested in talking to. Right. That's pretty much the whole premise. <laughs> right. But, you know, it turns out that a lot of other people are interested in, in talking to the same people that I want to talk to. So, I mean, it's good in that aspect. No one has listened to our podcast, contacted our agency and said, hey, can you do some work for us? Right. But that's also really not what I kind of designed it for. There is kind of a lead generation piece to it, but it's usually someone like you will know someone who needs something that my agency does. And that's where we make money on the end, on yep. the back end. And I don't even know if we honestly make money on it. I think this is definitely a cost. <laughs> <laughs> but from going out and being on other podcasts, though, we definitely generate leads from doing that. So I've been on several other podcasts and, and we're ramping that system up right now. But you got to have a system. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, like I, I, when I first started to kind of think about getting featured more often, 
I, I made the same mistake probably everybody does, which is like, I'm like, Oh, that's no big deal. Like I, I host podcasts. Like I, I know how to write a good pitch email. I know what I'm looking for. I'll just research and I'll identify one podcast a day and I'll send them a pitch email. Super easy. Like there's other areas of the business where I'm really good at just doing something every day, just relentlessly in, in day in, day out. Didn't work for me. Not with the, with the podcast outreach. It's just, it's just enough. And it's just, it feels like it's doesn't, it's shouldn't be on the, uh, the front burner. It's, it's, it kind of always gets put to the back burner for some reason. There's just some weird thing about it. Cause it doesn't give us like an immediate payoff that, uh, yeah, I did, I did what everybody else did. I, I kept putting it on the back burner. And the next thing you know, a month had gone by and I hadn't pitched myself on a single podcast. And I'm like, all right, well, this, this aggression shall not stand. Like, <laughs> like I can't have this. Fortunately, I, you know, I had a team, I had good people, smart, capable people, and so I said, okay, well, what if I put a system together where I didn't have to do any of the pitching myself? I gave them the tools, the systems, and the templates so that they could pitch me, get me scheduled, and I just show up and, and do the podcast interview. And so I worked on that for a good three or four or five months. It worked really well. Started giving it to my clients. It worked well for them. And then, yeah, and eventually turned that into a, a course that we sell kind of to the people that aren't ready for our agency, mostly. You know, we get plenty of people that come in that, you know, they should, they should start a podcast a year from now, you know, six months from now. And those are the people that we say like, Hey, well, here's how we recommend that you get started. Go check out this program called the fast track and just go out there and start getting featured and don't, don't pitch yourself, you know, have somebody else do it. All the trainings inside the program, it's got all the templates and all the tools and stuff. And so like my, my agency is kind of going down the same path that yours is, which is, I don't always want to do 100% done for you services. I want to set myself up for the future to do more strategy and selling courses and things like that. So this is our first like foray into that, you know, setting ourselves up to potentially make that shift later if I choose. You know, I, I still enjoy the done for you service world and I don't have any plans to leave that anytime soon, but I do want to start positioning my, myself in the market as someone who is an authority on more than just doing work for you. Absolutely. You know, like we were talking about before the show, you know, kind of as you get further into your agency career, you start to see that there is there is there's a big gap between people who are service providers of a specific service and people who are kind of thought leaders in the space. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Especially I mean, we have an SEO company like. There's, there's a million SEO companies, like literally a million SEO companies in the world, right? But of those 1 million SEO companies, there might be 1% that can even do anything close to what they promise, yeah, right? <laughs> right? And of that 1%, you know, it, maybe half of them are going to take on clients of, you know, the certain type or a certain size, right? So, I mean, it's really tough. To find someone who could do that work for you that's good at it and is in your field and isn't going to just take your money and do nothing, you know, and it's like that with almost every agency thing, right? But once you get into the theory behind how marketing actually works and how to generate attention and, and understanding all how all these technologies and stuff work together, it takes years, right? I don't know how Google and Facebook, you know, look at business owners and be like, hey, you should learn all of the ins and outs of our platform and, you know, in only 20 hours a month for the rest of your life. <laughs> and then every yeah. platform wants them to do it. I know. Yeah, I don't know what their what their what their strategy is. I mean, it, it seems to be working well, but I really don't know how much Facebook pays attention, honestly, to the, the SMB market. You know, I don't, how much of their profit? Well, a lot more now that the 
big advertisers. That was just the adpocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know what their game is. Everybody's like, oh my God, all these giant companies are leaving Facebook. And I was like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? 10% of them left? Now my ad costs dropped 10%. That's weird. Yeah. What, What did you see that last for very long? Did the ad costs stay down for very long? I'd say they're still down. I mean, stuff that works in the Facebook ad world right now is a little bit different than stuff that was working even a couple months ago. It's kind of taken a real shift away from like the kind of serious tone advertising has really tanked. Like it seemed people seem to be more looking for stuff a little more uplifting, a little happier, you know, hmm. you know, you see companies that are really killing it right now are like manscaped. You know, with their silly commercials <laughs> right. with the guy trimming the hedges around a pool to try and find his footballs. You know, all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> okay. I missed that one. That's funny. The silly stuff is really taken off again. And I mean, I, I saw that commercial on LinkedIn, you know, like. Did you really? Is that, is that a Harmon Brothers? Did they, did they do the Manscaped stuff? I know they did a lot of like, like the Squatty Potty and. It's similar you know they probably similar style somebody took the Harmon brothers course right but <laughs> right i mean all you got to do is watch their commercials you know the Harmon brothers course it's like it's everybody saw the squatty potty ad and they were like this is this brilliant new thing that nobody's ever done before right you can go back to like the late 70s and the early 80s and look at like the guys who were making the movies like airplane and the naked gun and that kind of stuff right it's just like it's ripped right out of their book, right? Right. There was a, there's actually a movie called Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, Kentucky man. Kentucky Fried Movie, super old, right? Yeah, super, yeah, like early 80s, late 70s, maybe 77, 78, yeah. It was a spoof movie based on a spoof of you watching a night of television, and it had its own fake advertisements in it. Okay. And those fake advertisements are super similar to the Harmon Brothers. Ads, really? Right? That's hilarious. But anyway, aside from that kind of, you know, like the silly advertising style and stuff, I think it's just it. I mean, we've got especially out in the West Coast, kind of where we are. I mean, I know you're a little bit south, but I mean, I'm right outside of Portland. Parts of this metro area of Portland just got taken off evacuation yesterday from wildfires. You know, goodness, we've got hazardous smoke air conditions. I can't see the houses across the park from my house from the smoke and there's, you know, obviously coronavirus, pandemic, and murder hornets, and whatever else everybody's come up with, right? It is, right. It's terrible. There's like bubonic plague in LA and New York. And, oh, my God. You know, people are just kind of done with the serious, I think, right now. You know, like they want to they wanna step out a little bit, right? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Like, I think there's, you know, if you look at like superhero comics that got big in the Great Depression, you know, like, uh, and, and that seems so, like, we look back at that and... Or, or I mean, even with the Superman movies in the 70s, the superhero movies in the 70s, they were campy and fun. And now, you know, a couple of years ago, like for the last 10 years or so, like we've, we've been having an economy that's kind of coming back, you know, like you can debate whether that's real or not, but it certainly felt to most people like they were making progress. And suddenly you have this explosion of gritty shows on Netflix and HBO and stuff like that, right? Because like people's daily lives weren't depressing and horrible, you know, so they could go home and go, Ooh, I want to, I want to get into something like hard and gritty and stuff like that. Yeah. And then stuff like this comes around and it's, yeah, it's no surprise that the hard gritty stuff, like, wait a minute, that's the, how the rest of my life feels. So that's, I would like to respond and, and sit down and enjoy something. So yeah, that makes sense as far as what's working. 
Yeah, there seems to be some opposites in entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. I think podcasts seem to be, well, I shouldn't say seem to be, statistically, podcasts are still growing massively. Oh, it's huge. They were looking at last quarter, it was like an 18% increase just on on iTunes and, and Spotify, right? It was a massive jump. Yeah, I think we went from like, like a couple of years ago, there were half a million podcasts on iTunes. And then the next thing you know, I turned like like sometime last year, a top 900,000. And now it's over a million. Like there was 100,000 new podcasts added sometime in the last eight to 10 months or something like that. Yeah. So huge. I mean, huge growth. You know, how many of those are business? You know, we don't know exactly, but I mean, I'd say a fair chunk. And uh, yeah, so I, I think at least in my world, the question that people are asking now is, is it too saturated? 50,000 of them are Dungeons and Dragons and board game podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) And another 25,000 are Black Lives Matter related podcasts. And then, you know, the rest that are like various topics and business. I think it's kind of like real estate agents, right? You know, there's there's 200,000 new agents every year, but Mm -hmm. 200,000 drop out after the first (laughs) year or two. right? So you only get like maybe the top. 50% 50% of those last past two years. Oh, yeah. And podcasting will be even worse. Even less, yeah. Most people won't make it a month or two when, when you do it on your own. You know, if you've got, I mean, some people I know have really good systems and or they run an agency and they can have their team do it, whatever. But yeah, most people are not going to make it past a couple months in or they'll burn themselves out. They'll record like 25 interviews in three weeks and they'll go, holy cow, this is a lot of work. Well, yeah, don't record 25 interviews in three weeks. So yeah, there's people will make a lot of mistakes and there'll be podcasts out there that are still on the new and noteworthy that haven't released an episode in six months, you know, stuff like that. You know, we've seen that happen before. But yeah, at the end of the day, uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like the wild, wild west, but I, I love those market segments because really it's about the cream rising to the top. Just be one of the best. That's all it takes. So there's low barrier to entry and you've got lots of competition. Great. 99% of them are going to drop like flies over the first couple months and their podcast won't get any traction. So yeah, I mean, to me, it's just, it's still more opportunity for the people that have something unique to say, but I think it does create a situation. I talk about this in the book where you've got to have a really clear and compelling idea that your show is based around, that your business is based around, like everything has to be based around that because then that's what cuts through all this noise because the noise is not going away. The noise is not going to shrink. You know, we had, I mean, we saw what happened when we essentially shut down the world. Guess what? People spent more time on Facebook and Instagram and they listened to more podcasts and people launched more podcasts, you know, so you can shut the world down. And what happens is we end up creating more online content. So it's not going to get, the noise isn't getting any quieter. Like I say, almost every episode, the internet is full of garbage. Yes. Almost all of it is crap. And then there's like 10% that's, that's, I would say, worthwhile to someone. Like, if you think of it as one person, you were never going to get through even 1% of the internet in your entire life, right? I yeah. mean, there's such a tiny amount compared to what's actually out there. And, you know, most people don't even consider all of the content that's in other languages and other countries and stuff like that either, right? But still, there's tons of crap on on that. There's also tons of crap in the podcast world. And a lot of that, no one's ever going to listen to it. It's kind of like like the iTunes store, right? Over half of the songs in the iTunes store have never sold more than one copy. Really? More than half? Wow, that's crazy. And it's like more than half of the books on Amazon have never sold more than two copies. That's insane. The long tail is so long because you have infinite shelf space. So you there could be an infinite number of podcasts. There's no reason that we can't 
have a million podcasts to me seems like almost none because how many blogs are there in the world right i was thinking about that too because I, I i had to look up the stat for this because i think there's like 150 million wordpress blogs yeah at least and that's probably just in english <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> Yeah, there's lots more space. And, you know, think about how many TV networks are there, right? How many are there cable television? How many OTT networks are there? How many like, you know, like OTTs, like your Netflix and all that kind of stuff, right? Hulu, whatever. And then you got satellite TV stations. Then you got digital, you know, antenna, whatever. I don't even know what they call those anymore. If you take all of those and then each one of them has, what, three, four hundred channels, at least sometimes more than a thousand channels. Each one of those has to have shows on 24 hours a day. Right. How many shows is that? I don't even know. Right. That's how many podcasts you can have. And if podcasting, it's like email marketing. If you could do it consistently, show up and consistently deliver whatever you promise to give people from day one when they listen to it or when they read your email, you will make it in podcasting. Yep. Yeah. 100%. As long as you have a good system. And the system is so important. And I know this for a fact because we started without a system. We started doing it and I hadn't released it yet. We were recording episodes and I went back and listened to him and I was like, this is garbage. It's taking me all <laughs> day to do this. It's not going to have any real value for anyone because nobody's going to want to listen to it. And we scrapped the whole thing, went back, redesigned the whole system. I got a sound guy hired who does the editing and stuff for me. We figured out which software we're going to use. We even leased a studio at the start. Oh, wow. Right? We went all in. We made sure that we had episodes out of the gate before we released it. Mm-hmm. And then we went in and we got it done. Now we have smooth system. I got automatic calendar booking and people could come in and set their own date and give me all the information and it puts it on my calendar and, I, and it updates me and it gives me reminders. And, you know, we have our, our software and it goes to my guy. Daniel Craig does the editing for us from Silent Outburst Productions. He does our audio editing. And then he also cuts the clips out for my social media people. They do the social media posting mm-hmm. and they put it out there. Basically, the only thing I'm doing is finding guests and talking. And the only reason I like to find guests is because, as I mentioned earlier, this show is about me finding people I want to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what's the point in outsourcing? They'll keep, yeah, the, the very thing that you want. Yeah, man, and that's how I, that's how I got started. I had to build all that stuff for myself too. And I had people coming to me going like, hey, how are you hosting three podcasts in my space? And like you're, you're on live video five or six hours a week or whatever. How are, how in the world are you doing this? And I would just tell them about the team and the systems that I had built. And yeah, it just started with them going, well, can I like rent them when they're not working for you? And, and yeah, so just kind of, it was a slippery slope. And the next thing you know, I'm an agency owner, <laughs> which is how most of us get into that. That is how most of it works. <laughs> yeah, I was building websites on the side kind of thing since the nineties and then doing IT contracting and stuff for large marketing organizations. And I worked for Intel and Nike and all these big companies, right? Shaw Communications up in Canada. And and then just after a while, I was like, you know, I could probably just do this side thing instead of all the time, instead of going and working for like Intel for six months and then Nike for six months and then Intel for six months and then Nike for six months, <laughs> you know, back and yeah. forth. You know, and that's how I got into it. And then I merged it with my, with my friend Scott's agency, right? And uh, that's how we are where we are now. But man, so I guess let me ask you this. If somebody is a thought leader in their space, so they are, you know, coach or an author or something like that, right? Or both. Where do you think is the best place for them? Is it is it going on other podcasts first or is it starting their own podcast first or is this something they should kind of do simultaneously? 
No, hands down, go get featured first. I mean, if you're a big podcast fan, you might have some ideas of what you want your own show, but the best way to figure out what you want and what you want your show to be and what you need to talk about is to go out and get featured first. So much of of what dictates whether your own podcast will be a success is how clear your messaging is and how much clarity you have about what you're going to talk about, what you're going to stand for in the market. Like the thing that slows down podcasts from taking off is just we end up confusing people. They don't know what the show is really about. They don't know what kind of point of view we're trying to get across. They don't really know what the point of the podcast is. And so they may like certain things. They may like us. They may like some of the conversations, but they really don't. We're not changing beliefs. We're not creating, you know, true believers. We're not creating a tribe or anything around our podcast. And so just kind of like, yeah, you know, it's there kind of grows sluggishly and stuff like that. But that, that starts way upstream. You know, it starts with what's your message, what's your position in the market, just the marketing fundamentals. And it's a lot easier to go out and straighten all that stuff out and get clarity around those things when you're getting featured, because you can just scale that up and down with your schedule. And it's a lot more fun to show up and just get get interviewed and see kind of what what resonates with people, you know, what gets the, what gets the host's attention, what gets people reaching out when, when they reach out to say they enjoyed your episode, what did they comment on? You know, those are the kind of the, those little indicators that you can use to find uh, what is your clear and compelling idea? What is your message that you're putting out there? Then once you identify that, then that's when I would say, great. Now it's, you have an influx of people coming into your world. So you're reaching new people. You have a clear and compelling message that you want to get across. Now it's time to go launch your podcast. So I, I would tell most people to wait until they have those couple things. I mean, that's super advice. It, it is definitely easier to show up than it is to manage a podcast. I'll tell you yes. that right out of the gate. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. So you manage the Real Estate Uncensored podcast and you have a couple other real estate related podcasts too, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to mention those shows in case somebody wants to listen to those? So Team Building Podcast with my guy, Jeff Cohn. I co-hosted that for the first two years of that show. And then Level Up with Greg Harrelson, who is a beast. He runs a, a team, like a like a sub-team within, the, within Century 21 that generates like Eight million a year in GCI. I mean, he's an absolute, he's an absolute beast. So level up with Greg Harrelson. Those are the ones that I launched and actually co-hosted for a time. And then of course we've launched a bunch of other real estate ones for people like Lars Hedenberg and Michael Hellickson with Club Wealth, Marky Lemons, who's a pro speaker to the NAR and, you know, people like that. So nice. So like I was saying earlier, I, I listen to Real Estate Uncensored quite often. I also watch Beer and Calls on Facebook Live <laughs> Daniel, where he cold calls yes. people while he's drinking, which is fantastic. <laughs> What is it like to have to work with Greg McDaniel? <laughs> oh my God. I love that question. First of all, I love Greg and Greg's one of my best friends. So it's, it's great. He is, he's a wild card. And as you know, we have a lot of inside jokes on the show. And so one of my favorite, you know, it, you know, things that will happen is like, if I'm at, at an event or something like that, is people coming up and like dropping an inside joke from the show. Like, Hey, where's Julie and the three fat kids, you know, like, like that, like that kind of thing. So I would say for as much content as we put out and the fact that we were live, by the way, the, one of the best benefits of having a co-host is if you're going to do a live show, like it's, it's awesome to have a co-host. Cause then if the guest shows, it doesn't, you know, like no shows is no big deal. You just proceed on and have a great conversation with somebody you enjoy anyway. So yeah, like the fact that we've been doing this for five years or something like that is insane to me. I think four and a half or something like that, but he's one of my best friends. We have a blast on the show, but we disagree on a lot of stuff outside of that. 
but we have such a good relationship that on the show, we use that as an excuse to just give each other a hard time and throw throw shade at each other. And the audience seems to really enjoy that. I would say the drawback to that is that we're not selling necessarily coaching, consulting, and info products where we are both teaching the audience. We tried that. It didn't work so well because he and I disagree on so much, right? So if you're going to have a co-host on the show, you either have to stick with the parts where you guys have a united point of view and a belief system, or each of you sell different things. And so you each bring your own perspective and you say, hey, if you want Matt's stuff, go here. If you want Greg's stuff, go here. That's kind of what we do now. It's like, like, hey, if you want to get coached by on prospecting by Greg, go reach out to Greg. If you want to get Matt's book, go over here. So we're not like we're, we're able to come and bring our own perspectives because we're not trying to sell something combined. We're selling separate things. So that's really just one of those things that we kind of stumbled around and, and figured out over the course of the first few years of the show. So when you guys are on the show and and I do hear you, I mean, you argue a little bit on the show, but it's really like kind of in fun kind of arguing mm-hmm. and stuff. And I think that that definitely helps. But you guys have a pretty big audience on that show, don't you? I see a million and a half downloads total. We get 35 to 50,000 downloads a month or something like that. Yeah, that's how many we have total. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's this competitive landscape out there. We've we've been at it for a long time. Yeah, no, actually, I think we're definitely getting up there now. Yeah, but we've got we got some loyal listeners. Thank you guys for listening and and sending me your messages and stuff. If somebody wants to reach out to you and they are, like you said, a coach, a real estate, or not necessarily a real estate agent, coach or a trainer, author, that kind of thing, what's the best way for them to reach out to you to learn more? So getmicrofamous.com has links out to everything, you know, book and podcast and stuff like that. You can also just go straight to our production agency website if you're really interested in launching your own show. And that's pursuingresults.com. Okay. And I wanted to ask you one other thing kind of, you know, in the last few minutes we have here. I've seen this and there's not really a term, an industry term for it. So I've made one up. So someday you can quote <laughs> me and say, hey, Matt came up with this term. Okay. I call it the podcast mill. It's like a puppy mill. Okay. Right? where they have an automated system that goes in that that you book on the calendar, which automatically sets it up. And then they'll have like 10 different people that they've hired out to be hosts. And you have a set 20 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is to make the show. And the Hmm. guy who's interviewing you doesn't really know anything about your industry. He's just a person who interviews and asks the four questions that are on the piece of paper. (laughs) Right. And so it'll be like, so tell us who you are. How did you get into business? You know, uh, what's a challenge you had in your business? How can people get a hold of you? Thanks for being on the show kind of thing. And they're okay. pumping out, you know, 20 podcasts a day kind of thing. Okay. What do you think of that whole mill style of podcasting? Do you think that generating that Gary V kind of, you know, 50 pieces of content a day through podcasts is is going to work? Or do you think that spending the time to curate your guests and, you know, have longer conversations and stuff is going to work better in the long run? Well, authenticity wins. And so I think the, the, the thing that an approach like that really misses is, is the authenticity. And people can tell, especially now that there's so much selection and they can get shows that are authentic. Now people are savvy enough to recognize those interviews when they hear them, but that's just, that's just somebody reading questions off a of paper. And no, nobody wants that. There's, you know, if there was a land of no selection and, and that was their only choice, yeah, they'll listen, but that's not their only choice. They'll go listen to someone who has an engaging personality and has really deep, interesting conversations with people. Now, the, uh, the attention spans, I think, are shrinking. I've been trying on my podcast to cut my conversation time down from like 
you know, 45 to 60 minutes down to more like 30 or 25, you know, so we're like, we jump into the good stuff faster. Basically, I think we've, we've been inundated with story based podcasts, especially in the entrepreneur space, like tell me your story. And we've had so many of those for so many years that I've started just kind of jumping straight into the tactics, like, like, Hey, let's get into the, what people can do. And then we'll kind of dig into your background along the way. That was one of the side effects, actually, of Real Estate Uncensored, because we've been live since day one. Like we've, we were doing Google Hangouts, and then we moved to Facebook, and now we're on StreamYard, so we hit both. But like I could see the view counts going up and down. And when we did that thing of like, hey, tell us what your background is, and did the traditional like story type episode, I watched the view counts go down. And so I'm like, well, what can I do? And so I started to have the guests, I would ask them a very practical, tactical, hands-on question of something that people could do right away. And we would just jump straight into that. Then 10 or 15 minutes in, I'd have them pull back and, you know, give me a little bit of the background. And then we go a little bit deeper. And that like that maintained and it got people hooked to the point where then they were able to go, well, now I'm interested in that person's background because now they just gave me something super, super valuable. And I like them and I enjoy their personality. Now I want to hear what their story is. So I think there's different things like that where, you know, if you come to podcasting from a different perspective, like a live video, for example, you just, you approach it completely differently. That was one of the things that I learned. And so I think that's uh, one way of dealing with shorter attention spans is get into the practical, tactical stuff quickly, save most of the background stuff for later and let the audience get a taste of whether they like the guest or not before you, before you dive deep into the the guest background, like their story. Yeah, that's good advice. And we got to go, everybody. Bye. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I do like we have Dan, our sound guy cuts a little clip out of every episode and puts it at the start, you know, before we kind of play the little intro kind of thing. Because I noticed with there's some podcasts, especially business podcasts seem to do this a lot where they go, they introduce themselves, right? And each other. And then they say, oh, well, it's this one is sponsored by StreamYard, you know, because we use StreamYard too, but it's sponsored by StreamYard. Stream to more than one location at a time, yada, yada, yada. And today our guest is this person and they're from here and then they read their bio and then they say where they're from. And like, you're like five minutes in before the guest even says anything besides hello, right? Yeah. But once you get used to that, like you hear two or three episodes, but you still want to actually hear their guest. All you do is train the audience that as soon as like I hit play on those podcasts and I go skip, 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 skip skip for the first four minutes or the first five minutes. And then I listen to what they're going to say. Right. (laughs) And when you have those commercials that are, you know, like dynamic ad insertion on your podcast. Right. Well, you know that they're either 30 or 60 second spots. So it's either one skip button or two skip buttons. Right. So as soon as the ad pops up and they're like, do you need more skip? And then if there's still (laughs) ad going, you just hit skip again and then you're back to the show. So you never listen to it. I know. I do that with Seth Godin's all the time with the like the the LinkedIn. Oh, join us at the end of the show where we'll fill you in more on how you can use LinkedIn. I'm like, I absolutely not. Skip, 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 skip. Yeah, I like the uh, I've always been a big fan of Adam Carolla's podcast. I would say like getting turned on to his show was a big part of what got me into podcasting. And I always liked his approach of just what, what they call in radio live reads, like just, just do the ad organically. We do some ad insertion stuff, mid roll commercial stuff for our clients, but it's always, for the most part, it's always them reading their own commercial. And I just tell them like, for the most part, you're better off just authentically talking about your stuff in the flow of conversation. 
you know, rather than having a, a mid-roll commercial or something like that. I've always been a big fan of just talk about it organically. That's one of the things I love the most about Jeff Cohn and the team building podcast is he is a master at this. Nobody is better at inserting his own products and services like into the flow of conversation naturally than he is. He's a good one to go listen to. And that's a skill that can be built, you know, if, especially if you're passionate about what you do. There's a really good podcast that I've been listening to is Jay Bear's podcast. They're super short episodes, and each one is just an example of, he wrote the book, Talk Triggers. Okay. And so he used an, an example of a talk trigger, which is something that people use to talk about your business so that it spreads the word, turns your customers into your marketing people. That's the idea behind it. But one of the examples that he used was a girl who's a podcaster, and I think she's on ESPN Network. I was trying to Google her here quick. I think her name's Katie Nolan. They have ad reads. But she makes up a song and she like sings all the advertisements really in her show. And that's like the biggest draw of her show. It, like it's the thing that pushed it up over to like a million subscribers <laughs> okay. is her singing these ads. And she'll like sing ads like in the style of, I don't know, whatever musician. And then she'll like karaoke sing like the electric toothbrush ad. <laughs> okay. It's just the craziest thing, but it's a talk trigger, right? People talk about yeah. it. Uh, you don't get that from dynamic ad insertion, you know? <laughs> no, that's one of the things about like odd, like just being, being authentic is that if, if you truly are like that stuff will come up, like you mentioned with real estate uncensored, just me and Greg's like banter. That's typically what, what our talk trigger is, is just us throwing shade at each other. And that's what, that's what other people tell people is like, Hey, like this is not just some boring, like, yeah, listen to it for the information, but these guys like are, are, are fun together. And it's like a really fun show. That's our talk trigger for that show. It's true. We didn't know that that was going to be the case. We stumbled across it and then leaned into it once we realized that we had a talk trigger on our hands. Yeah, it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to know exactly what your talk triggers are going to be. You watch to see what the audience responds to. And then freaking when, once you find it, just lean in, you know? I think we found out early on in my show that me getting sidetracked on something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about <laughs> seems to be the best talk trigger. Because <laughs> it's always something odd, like some girl who sings her commercials on her ESPN show. <laughs> well, you picked a good one because I think the second highest uh, search is, is, is she married? So... You must have it going on. So I'll have to check Just her out. must have a great singing voice. That's right. Yeah. I mean, like when I was listening to real estate uncensored and, and, and I was laughing because I was listening to it, I was like, man, this is probably the only, not only the only real estate podcast, but the only kind of marketing or business podcast that I've listened to where one of the hosts refers to other people's children as floor denting trolls. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh. What was it? Floor denting troll babies or something. And I'm just like, oh, that's hilarious. Oh my God. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. I know we're kind of over time a little bit. So uh, if you have a short attention span, you won't have made it this far. <laughs> 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 thank you so much for being on Matt Johnson with micro famous and the book is micro famous. Thank you, Matt, so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. 
We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.